We live in a very creative world. There are a lot of things, or a lot of words you could put in instead of creative, I suppose. But creative is the one that I'll use tonight. We live in a very creative world. Creative especially in the ways that we find to describe every type of person who exists. We find ways to to label someone so that in one word you know exactly what I mean and and what sort of person I think they, they are. You can call people nerds. I've heard that one before. At camp I was king of the nerds. We had a contest. That was me. There's nerds, there's gamers, there's suits, there's, uh, I've seen sheep. People call someone who just kind of goes along and, and doesn't really think, they'll call them a sheep. There's all sorts of different things that people will call each other, and, and they try to label each other so they know what sort of personality they have, and they can categorize them in their mind and, and really never have to worry about it again. But there's one word that you never want to be used to describe you. And the word is toxic. Toxic. And if you're, if you're someone who's watched any of those, uh, Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or anyone who tries to help people with their life uh, from you know, recent years or ones past, you might have heard them talk about toxic people and how you, you've got to cut these toxic people out of your life in order to continue living happily, and to continue to be successful. What they mean by toxic, as I understand it, is that someone's constantly negative, they're hypocritical, they're stressful to be with, they're easily angered, they're ultra-critical and completely inconsiderate to the point that when you come in a room, that person finds a way to make everyone upset and completely ruin the evening. That's a toxic sort of person, at least as I understand it. Now, there are times that the Bible does teach us to leave some people alone. In Proverbs especially, talking to the young man, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, Solomon writes, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And then in verse 15 again, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. And so stay away from people who go into sin and run into sin and say these certain things that he records. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, Christians are talked about as living a life that's not so similar to non-Christians. He says, in all this they're surprised. That is, non-Christians and people who continue to live in sin, it says they're surprised that you, the Christian, do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. And so there is a certain separation between Christians and non-Christians and those who desire to continue in sin. But we still care about their souls. And that's an important distinction. A lot of times when we cut these certain types of people out of our life and we're told by by smart guys and smart women to cut these people out so we can be happy, sometimes we forget to care about them anyway. We forget to care about their soul. Somewhere along the way, we stop thinking of what's best for them to grow spiritually and to find God. And we start 
worrying only about what's easiest for me and what's going to make me live the easiest sort of life. Would have been a lot less trouble for God not to create us, wouldn't it? You realize when we start thinking that way, when we start thinking of what's easiest for me and and what's going to make my life easier, and I don't really care about your soul, we have ceased to think in godly ways. It would have been a lot easier for God if He never created us. Never would have His Son had to come to earth and suffer and die. Never would He have had to go to the trouble to record His Word and preserve it for us. None of that would have been necessary. Our good has always been the focus of God and providing a way for us to return to Him. That needs to be our focus for every person, toxic or otherwise. If there were ever people who could be considered toxic, would have been the the Israelites during the divided kingdom. They constantly hurt God. They only cared about themselves and what made themselves happy. They expected God to bail them out of every difficult circumstance. Do any of you parents know that child? The the one who expects you to bail them out of everything and, and only so they could stab him in the back afterwards. That's the children of Israel toward God. And then God wrote Hosea 14. After all of that, God wrote Hosea chapter 14 and tonight we're going to take a look at Hosea 14 and we're going to see God's dream for every person his hope for every person for every person who others might look at and just cut them out and leave them out hang them out to dry God has a hope and a dream and Hosea 14 is it God holds so much love for lost souls that even though they've turned against Him over and over again, He calls them to return. And He doesn't just call them to return. He doesn't just stop there. He shows them exactly what they ought to do in order to return and to be acceptable in His sight. And in Hosea chapter 14, we see exactly the same process as he would expect of Christians today. Same God, Old Testament, New Testament. Same process, really. And that's what we're going to note tonight. He's the same God today as He was then. Today, He still holds the same compassion. Even for people like us. Even for people like we used to be, perhaps. Even for the people that we are still sometimes. We have all stood against God and harmed Him for our own pleasure. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 makes that much clear. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God calls to us and He calls to every soul watching just like He watched for Israel in Hosea 14. Hosea 14 is mirrored in the New Testament. And it's mirrored by a particularly familiar parable. And it's one that we're going to take the time to draw out tonight. And we're going to look at the parallel verses in Hosea 14 and Luke 15, starting at about verse 11. 
And if you're a note taker, you can make some brackets in your Bible and take some notes and mark these verses so that as you're looking in Luke 15 at the parable of the prodigal son, you can know that there's an Old Testament passage that will clarify even further what God might say in certain instances and what He might expect. That prodigal son, the parable of him. It displays God's compassion for His people that exists to this day, that existed in the Old Testament as well. But today it exists through the blood of Christ and it's extended to every person no matter who they are or who they've been. Let's look now, and I would keep a marker in Hosea 14, and then I would keep a marker in Luke 15 if you can. And so looking at Luke 15, I'm going to read starting in verse 11 through 16. It says, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he'd spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. Luke 15 verses 11 through 16 is the Israelite people of the Old Testament during that divided kingdom time. They had taken God's estate that He'd given them in Canaan land and they'd gone and they'd squandered it with loose living. All the idols that they'd served, all the nations that they'd turned to, everyone other than God that they decided to put their trust in was that far country. They'd traveled to the distant country with all of God's blessings and squandered them. And now they were trying, or they were dependent on Assyria, on Egypt, on these other foreign countries, and they had completely left God behind. All of us have traveled to the far country in varying, degree, in varying degrees, and we've all had different lengths of stays there. This son stayed until he lost everything. And then something happened in Luke 15, 17 that is complemented and paralleled in Hosea 14, verse 1. In Luke 15, 17, it says, But when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. This is an important moment in life. This is an important moment that every person experiences. Every person at one point or another understands what they are doing. At that moment, when the understanding arrives when the recognition of your own sins arrives, God would like to say, Hosea 14 verse 1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, 
for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Oftentimes it's the word of God that will show us our sins that will or someone speaking it will show us the sins that we've committed will show us where we stand in relation to God. But we have to respond to that and all of us do. All of us respond to that in one way or another. And if you look over in Acts chapter 2 in verse 37, there's one sort of response there. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, you remember that Peter had shown them all of the history and the prophecy about Jesus and how David prophesied of Him. And now that He's been murdered by them, He's now been raised and ascended to the right hand of God, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified in verse 36. And when they heard this, verse 37, they were pierced to the heart. And their response was good. Right? Brethren, what shall we do? They wanted to make it right. That's one way to respond. And it's described by the word pierced. That the word was allowed to pierce their heart. And if you imagine a big, long surgical needle that just reaches into your heart just directly, bypassing everything else on the way, and just reaches in right to where the problem is, and it just hits that a little bit. And there's a twinge of conscience. There's a twinge of remorse. That's pierced. And that's what God hopes His Word does for all of us. That's what it's designed to do. But if we resist it, if when we recognize and we see our sins laid out before us, we resist it and we're, we're stubborn against it, it'll do something else. And that's in Acts chapter 7. It's a parallel that I enjoy very much. Just because it makes it so clear the choices I have to make when I'm faced with my own sin. Will I let it pierce my heart and change me? Or in Acts chapter 7 verse 54, Stephen has spoken the exact same message to, to these who were gathered. And when they heard this, it says they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. And it continues on that they plugged their ears and rushed at him and stoned him, returned very violently, stubbornly against the word that he was giving them. Did they, did they recognize the message he was saying? Oh yes, absolutely they did. Why do you think they were so angry at him? But their choice was to be stubborn against it. To be hardened against it. And in that moment, we know that God's Word is sharp. And it cut them. Different word than pierced. It cut them. You ever seen those, uh, those uh, lumberjack competitions where they're just sawing the log, the big log, back and forth and back and forth? That's sort of the idea, except all it takes is one big swipe. And it'll rend you completely in two. That's what they decided. That's what they responded. 
was that they didn't want the message. They didn't want to be corrected. Did they recognize their own sins and their own poor choices? Absolutely they did. But they were stubborn against the solvent. They were stubborn against the solution. And so it cut them. And they became very violent. God calls out in Hosea 14.1 that when you recognize the sin, when there's that twinge because you understand the Word of God is pointing at you and trying to get in, you need to let it in and you need to repent. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you've stumbled because of your iniquity. Next, Hosea 14, verses 2 and 3. Hosea 14, verses 2 and 3. You've come to your senses. God calls you back. And then He begins to instruct you to humbly return and how to do that. Hosea 14, verse 2 says, Take words with you. Take words with you. And return to the Lord. Say to Him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again our God to the work of our hands. For in you the fatherless finds mercy. In Luke 15 verse 18. Verses 18 through about verse 21 are parallel to Hosea 14, 2 and 3. Luke 15, verse 18 says, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him. He's planning out what he's going to say. He's taking words with him. Like Hosea 14, verse 2 says we ought to do. He's planning out what he'll say. He's taking words with him. And his words are words of confession. Words that confess his sins to his father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up and came to his father. That's presenting the fruit of his lips. Not just that he would say those things in private, but he would actually get up and go and do them. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The fruit of their lips in Hosea chapter 14 is to do what they've said they would do. It is the result of their vows to God seen in their actions. It's the change in what they would and would not say or do ever again. Never again would they call the works of their hands God. Never again would they fashion something or carve something or melt something into a shape and put it on a pedestal and set it in God's throne. Wouldn't do it again. That's what God wishes they would say. This is their humble repentance and their confession of their sins to God. This is their request for undeserved forgiveness from the Almighty God, the Father to the fatherless. That's a powerful description. In Hosea 14, verse 3, they say, For in you the fatherless finds mercy, or the orphan. 
I don't look forward to the time when dad passes away. I like having dad on this earth. He knows a lot more than me. He's very wise. I can go to him for advice. But there will come a time, and I hope I live that long, when he's not there. And at that time, I'll still have a father. I'll still have a father to whom I can go for advice, who is wise, who knows very much more than me. And that's our Father God. He is the Father to the fatherless. When you're floundering alone, He's your Father. He's the one who will care. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we're reminded if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. That same truth is proclaimed both in Hosea 4, verse 4 through 8, and in Luke 15, 22 through 24. Let's read starting in Hosea 14, verse 4. He says, in response, if they should come and say these things and do these things, if they did determine that they will leave behind their idols, never again to serve them, he says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. And you need to stop for just a second. This is the third time that sort of imagery has come up in Hosea. First, it was the Israelites in chapter 6 taking for granted God's mercy. Second, he describes their outcome. But third, here in Hosea 14, he says, yes... Even though in chapter 6 they took me for granted, they're right. That is what I will be to them. I am that loyal. I am that constant. You can depend on me just like you can depend that if you set something out all night in the early morning, it's going to be wet. He will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily, he says. And he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. He'll make them mighty. His shoots will sprout and His beauty will be like the olive tree and His fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Anybody ever bought cedar? I, I remember my dad was building a fence in our backyard and he went down to Lowe's and he picked up a bunch of cedar planks and brought them over and set them in the driveway and I walked outside and I thought, what is that wonderful smell? It's excellent. I could have smelled that all day. And I did because I was forced into labor. <laughs> but it was, it was a good smell. His fragrance will be like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in His shadow will, will again raise grain and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Luke 15, 22 through 24 puts it this way. The father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. 
put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Same God, same process, stated differently. But forgiveness and restoration is God's to give. He gives to all who return to Him freely. There's never a person that He'll turn away. When one of His children goes to the far country, He watches for their return, hoping they would seek Him again. And the Father receives us, blesses us beyond anything we would ever ask for ourselves. You recognize the son came back and wanted to be the slave, but the father received him and elevated him again to the position of son. The Israelites, they didn't deserve to be a nation of God again, but he promised that if they would return to him truly, that he would elevate them once again to that high place that he promised them. If they would only return, if they would only say these things and do these things, Father would have blessed them beyond anything they could have asked. And Hosea 14.9 offers a challenge. What kind of person are you? Is the question. Hosea 14.9 says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but the transgressors will stumble in them. What the Lord asks of us is really, truly very little for what we've done to Him. And He calls us to understand that and to understand the righteousness of His ways. How compassionate He is. How merciful He is. How constant He is. Like the dew. And how much of a blessing His ways are to us if we'll walk in them. You understand when He talks in Hosea about about making them so fragrant like the cedar and, and mighty and fruitful and all these things. When he's talking about all that, that comes because they've been following God's ways and His ways are righteous and wise and good. I think sometimes when we read the Bible and we see God talking about blessing us and, and providing for us and doing good things for us, we think that's just sort of some magical a nebulous thing out there that we can't put our fingers on. I don't know how it happens, but it's going to happen. Somehow, He's just going to zap things into my life that I need. It's the result of following His ways. When we follow His ways, and we listen to His wisdom, and we dedicate ourselves to His service, it works out better. He blesses us when we do that. And we can see those blessings in the way that we're treated by other people, in the way that we're treated by our brethren. We can see it and feel it in the guiltless sort of life that we're able to live because we know God has forgiven us. It's a very real thing 
And the good news is that the ways of the Lord never change. They never change. In the Old Testament, in Hosea 14, he had this last chapter to an unfaithful people, calling them back and promising that if they'll really return, he'll forgive them and restore them. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus, God in the flesh, says the exact same thing. Exact same thing. To every unfaithful person. Not just a nation, but a person who goes to the far country. If you'll return, God will restore you. He is the same. He provides a way for us to be saved. He teaches us concerning that way. And then awaits in anticipation of our arrival. Have you arrived at the Lord's door yet? Are you sitting in His house today? I'm not talking about the church building in the pews. I'm talking about His house. The place where His family is. Are you in His house? Are you living by His rules? The one who's wise and discerning will recognize his own sinfulness and he'll humbly return to the Lord, confessing his sins and seeking forgiveness from our Father. That's the picture that's painted in Hosea 14 and Luke 15. And for Christians who've left God's side, God promises that if you'll do those things, he will restore you. He will receive you back and forgive you. And if you're not a Christian... If you haven't yet put Christ on, if you haven't come into the house yet, He asks those same things of you. And then asks you to be baptized, to contact the blood of His Son, by which you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins. You come with all those same repentant attitudes, confessing and seeking forgiveness and seeking to make things right and be baptized with that intent through the authority and power of the blood of Christ. And He'll restore you and bring you into His house, part of His family. That's what He wants for you and it's what He calls for you to do tonight. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. And whoever is discerning, let him know them. God is ready to receive back every person who's left Him for the far country. He watches like that Father to bless us. Are you an orphan tonight who's been wandering? The Father is looking for you. He wants you to be saved. And He wants to watch over you and bless you. And so tonight, if you have a need, if you need to come to the Father, make that known by coming forward as we stand and sing.